down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Welcome everyone. Hope you had a wonderful week. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Just before this show, I happened to read a very timely article, and it is uh, talking about a group called the CO2 Coalition. And this is a group of about 95 brave scientists who actually intend to educate both our uh, legislators and anybody that is involved in anything that has to do with CO2 about what CO2 really is about and what CO2 contributes to our atmosphere that is so precious and so needed for us to be able to have a successful life. Otherwise, without CO2, folks, we wouldn't have plants. We wouldn't have food. How would we live? Well, no surprise to anybody else. Uh, They don't want us to live, but that's another issue. When discussing things like this that are so vitally important, I always like to bring in an expert because remember one of the things about being a good leader is to be surrounded by the people that you feel can add to your message and can tell the truth. And that's what I have done when I have invited H. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute to join me today and give us a brief discussion. Maybe he knows about this group, that would be wonderful, uh, about the importance of CO2 so that we can go forward and understand what this really is all about. Remember this crowd, folks, they don't want us here. They want the planet depopulated. And what better way to depopulate the planet than to introduce uh, a lesson and an ideology that CO2 is a harmful gas. Thank you so much, Sterling, for joining me today. Have you heard of this coalition, the CO2 coalition, and what are they up to? Are they a real group? Are they something we should follow? Or is it just another hype nonsense? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on again. I always enjoy doing your show, Karen. Uh, So, no, they're certainly a, a real group. They were founded by uh, some prominent scientists uh, a few years ago, um, in, uh, among them uh, uh, Will Happer uh, from uh, uh, Princeton and some other scientists. Uh, they're run now by Greg Wrightstone, a geologist. Uh, they've been doing good work on this for some time. They put out some scientific studies, much along the lines of things that the Heartland Institute, my own organization, has been saying for going on 20 years now. Um, it's, it's good that we've got people like the CO2 Coalition joining us, uh, taking a leadership position and pushing this. But uh, Heartland, uh, you know, we produced a, a multi-volume set called Climate Change Reconsidered. 
And one of them is called uh, Climate Change Reconsidered Biological Impacts. And it deals specifically with the benefits of carbon dioxide in the scientific literature. Basically, uh, there's another group called CO2Science.org. They've been around for a long time. And they're run by, uh, by people who are experts in plant biology that summarizes the thousands of studies that show that um, plants do better with higher CO2. There's no, there's no mystery to this. You go to any greenhouse in America or the world, and they actually add CO2 to the atmosphere. Why is it? Because it's bad for plants? No, of course not. It's because it makes plants grow faster. It's fertilizer. They grow faster. They grow larger. They, they are lusher. They have better root systems. They use uh, water more efficiently. So let's say you have water shortages in a region, but you add CO2, the plant life can use whatever water there is more efficiently. It loses less water through transpiration. There is no evidence whatsoever that CO2 is toxic to humans at any foreseeable levels. And most plant life evolved um, at a time when CO2 levels, carbon dioxide levels, were much higher than today. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it. Our planet has gone through many periods. At times, plant, uh, CO2 is 5,000 parts per million. We're talking about 400 parts per million today. And over time, the CO2 has been leached out of the atmosphere, into the soil, into carbonaceous rocks. Uh, it's been compacted. And during the middle of the last ice age, the atmospheric levels of carbon dioxide were 180 parts per million at its worst. 180 parts per million. You say, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, at 150 parts per million, plants can no longer photosynthesize. I was just going to ask you, that means we have no food. <laughs> no, it, it means not, not just that we have no food. Nobody has food. None of the animals that rely on plants have food. Uh, plants die, and then the planet dies. And we were down to a, a 180 parts per million. And if the trend had continued, uh, now we came out of the little ice, we came out of the ice age, and 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 immediately CO2 bounced back because it was released, and um, they got up to, to 280 parts per million before industrial civilization really took over. Before the industrial revolution took off. And we started burning coal and we did start putting, don't get me wrong, we're putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. There's no question about that. Um, but is that but a not, bad thing? But it's not a bad thing. Oh, that's, sure. the, that's the whole point. It's not a bad thing. It's good that we're not at 150 parts per million or even 180 parts per million or even 280 parts per million. Uh, the idea that, that somehow the levels of CO2 before the Industrial Revolution were some ideal is made up in the minds of, of uh, people who don't like humans very much, who uh, would, would just assume, you know, people like Arne Nice, uh, a philosopher out of, uh, I want to say Sweden, a Scandinavian country for sure, uh, who said, wrote a book about how the ideal human population was 200 million people. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've heard that before they want us dead and their reasoning folks is not because there's not enough food they're going to make it so that there's not enough food their reasoning is we're too hard to control like seven billion people so in order for them to control us they had to dream up something that would make us kill ourselves and i believe that taking co2 out of the atmosphere is aiding to that 
When I used to teach biology and science, I taught my kids that humans breathe in oxygen. We let out CO2. Plants essentially breathe in CO2 and let out oxygen. So it's not just food that will disappear, but I think it would have a big impact on the oxygen level if we have no plants. How will we breathe? How will we exist? And also, Sterling, CO2 is such a minute gas. How are they saying that this has any reflection on climate, which we all know changes at, the, at a whim? Well, the you know it is a greenhouse gas. Let's be clear; it does all things being equal in a controlled environment. If you add CO two to the atmosphere, it should add some warming if you've got sunlight coming in. So there is reason to think that if you add CO two, there should be a modest warming, but a modest warming, nothing that we haven't experienced historically in the past. Certainly not catastrophe. There's no reason for thinking that the, the global average temperature, which is just a made-up number, it's, a, it's an average made up that we, we're concerned about global average. The Earth doesn't care about a global average temperature. Uh, but there's no reason for thinking you know, that God looked down and said, you know what, the 1400s, that's the ideal temperature. And anything above or below that, uh, it's, it's all wrong. No, that's, that's made up. They've made it up in their own minds. Um, there, you know, will if it gets, you know, if the global average temperature goes up 10 degrees, will that make it uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, probably make especially in, in places that are already hot. Uh, it, it could could cause problems, but no one's talking about that kind of temperature rise from the modest increase in carbon dioxide. And what we do know is that plants are doing better. We're feeding more people now. That's what they don't like. It's that it's that. It's that they have a vision of the world with much fewer people on it, and them being those people, the elites see the world as their playground. And sure, they want the, the, the drones, they want the worker bees uh, doing their jobs and not talking too much and not talking back and not having a say in, in, in government, uh, not, certainly not you know, pretending like they know anything because the elites know everything. Uh, and, but, but besides a, a few worker bees, they say we've got too many worker bees. We've got to we've got to weed some people out, and uh, it just so happens that those people that they want to weed out aren't themselves. You know, Al Gore's not talking about extinction for him; he's talking about extinction for others. Um, they've got their houses, and they would believe me. They, you know, you say, "Oh, well, they're very concerned about climate change." Well, I ask you, do they live their lives as if they're concerned about climate change? If, if they don't walk the walk, I don't care if they're talking the talk. When John Kerry takes a private plane to a conference where he's winning an award for his work on climate change, and someone calls him out on it, he says, yeah, but I'm important. I'm sorry, that tells me he doesn't really think the climate's that important, if, if that's what he says is causing climate change, because his jet put out 40 times more CO2 in that, that one year, his private jet put out 40 times more CO2 than the average American household. Uh, it, it's just sheer hypocrisy. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio jets across the world to private islands and, and wins his climate awards uh, uh, while he's, if, you know, if you believe him, if you believe what they say, 
he's destroying the planet. Now that tells me either he doesn't believe he's destroying the planet and CO2 is not that bad, or he just doesn't care in reality. And I don't know which one it is. I can't get into his psychology. Also, Sterling, the earth is filled with uh, several thousand volcanoes, earthquakes, and a variety of eruptions that come from the center of the planet and have to be expelled like a pressure cooker. They have to let off their gas and on occasion, they're expelling CO2. So one uh, eruption from a volcano, I would think would be much more dangerous than all the people on earth breathing and eating. One eruption, uh, you've got, you're right, there are thousands of eruptions daily. Uh, we don't hear about most of them. A lot of them are subsea volcanoes that you don't, you don't hear a lot about until they form a new island. But they do put out CO2. Nature puts out CO2. You know, it, it, when animals and plants die, they, uh, it, they start to decompose and they put out CO2 and they put out methane, another greenhouse gas. Termites put out a lot of methane. And you oh, I didn't termite, realize termite that mounds. one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what do they do? They, they consume wood and they uh, are flatulent. So they put out <laughs> a lot of methane. Uh, swamps are uh, people. People used to want to drain swamps and then they called them wetlands. But now we want to protect them. One thing swamps do very good is decompose plant and animal matter and put out methane. So there's a lot of sources around the world of greenhouse gases. Thank God there are, because absent the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, the earth would be uninhabitable. We'd be a cold rock in space like Mars and other uh, planets more distant. I um, learned a while ago that this crowd bases all of their ideas and assumptions on computer models. And yep. they use what is called the precautionary principle, which means, and if you listen to Fauci, he even said this, we have to work on the worst case scenario. So they take the worst case of whatever anything would look like, should everything fall apart. And that's what they are telling us is happening when it's not true at all. And also, CO2 is released as things warm. So how can something that's a result of warming be a cause of warming? How does that work? Well, you know, you, you can have feedback mechanisms. It, it, it can be both. But the, the, the point is, CO2, whether human-caused, you know, whether released by humans or released by nature, is not a threat to human life, civilization, or life on Earth. In fact, it's critical to life on earth. And uh, at any foreseeable level, you know, you talk about the computer models, uh, let's, we, we don't have to go too far down that, but it's, it, there's something in computer science, uh, a term called GIGO, GIGO, G-I-G-O, stands for garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> Your models are only as good as the science and the assumptions built into them. And the science and the assumptions are all wrong. The, the, the worst case scenario uh, is one called the representative concentration pathway 8.5, which is referenced all the time. This is the RCP 8.5 is what they use all the time when they talk about the seas rising and when they talk about hurricanes getting worse and when they talk about, you know, whatever it is, it's always eight, RCP 8.5. The problem is, if you look at the assumptions built into RCP 8.5, they require more carbon dioxide being released into the atmosphere than actually is contained in the earth. How does that work? Uh, 
Uh, well, don't ask me. I didn't put in the garbage that's spewing out the garbage. But if you assume something that's impossible, you're going to get impossible results. <laughs> that's very so true. Why anyone takes these clowns seriously? I don't know. Other than governments give them the charge and give them the voice. Worse off, they put it in school. So as these people grow up, they really truly believe it because they learned about it in school. And that goes to energy also. They're demonizing fossil fuel when fossil fuel is so necessary for humans to have a comfortable lifestyle. Yeah, fossil fuels have given us the life that we have today. Your, your, your indoor plumbing, your chlorinated water, all the plastics, the, the computer that I'm sitting here in front of was, as you interview me, all the plastic in it, all the electricity runs through it. You know, fossil fuels make take us out of the whims of nature largely. Uh, we're no longer begging pagan gods and sacrificing virgins at a volcano, hoping, <laughs> hoping that they smile upon us and deliver uh, rains. You know what? Sometimes when we don't get rains, we've got something called irrigation now that we didn't have before fossil fuels. <laughs> yes. Imagine we, we, as we're going through what we're going through right now, imagine if there was no fossil fuel and I'm going to take something really simple. How would they have those contraceptive pills? How would they be able to perform those abortions? Because the tools that they use are made with fossil fuels. So if you got rid of everything, you would have no growth and no existence because we are really dependent on something that's wonderful. And that is fossil fuel. And also, haven't they made the industry very clean now so that it's not polluting? And I believe they conflated polluting with uh, climate change. Pollution yeah, well, they is want one to, thing. They, they, they want to talk about CO2 as if it's a pollutant. It's not. It's a naturally occurring gas that we exhale. Uh, when you breathe out, when your audience breathes out, even when the people that I virulently disagree with about their assessment of climate change breathe out, they're not polluting the earth. Uh, <laughs> it may be it may be noise Maybe. pollution. It may be noise pollution when they talk, but uh, the CO two they exhale is not pollution. Uh, the CO the, the EPA and other agencies were founded to fight traditional pollutants. Uh, we can debate whether uh, their creation was you know constitutional, whether it was a good idea, uh, and whether they've done much good. But it is true that pollution is way down. Real pollution, smokestack pollution, your soot, your smog, your ozone, your sulfur dioxide, those things are down. And those are uh, uh, dangerous at, at high levels. There's no question about that. CO2 is not one of those chemicals. I want to go back a little bit to what you said uh, or to what we were talking about earlier, because I want to point out. When you hear about these computer models and when you hear about what climate science has to say, most of the time you're hearing it from a, a body called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That's a UN organization. Uh, the U.S. was one of the ones that sponsored this. You know, we're not, it, it, it didn't come from nowhere. But what it's not called is the International Scientific Panel on Climate Change. It's not a scientific body. It's called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It is founded by governments. It is staffed by governments. 
And when their reports come out, now the reports are assembled by scientists, largely scientists the governments choose. You might not be surprised to find out they're stacking the deck (laughs) in the favor of government power. But they are, they do put out scientific reports. You don't ever read the scientific reports. What you hear about, what the press reports on is called the summary for policymakers. And what happens there is the scientists produce a report and they produce a summary. And then the governments go in there line by line and say, no, we don't like this. You got to say this differently. No, you got to remove this because it casts doubt. It raises questions. We don't want questions. We want it to say one thing, disasters in the offing, we must act now. And that's the report they get. Why do they get that report? Because it's not a scientific body. It's a government body and governments can decide what they want in their reports. So essentially, these quote scientists that are uh, telling us how we should live our lives are nothing more than shills for what the government is telling them to say. That's right. And, and you know how you know that? Some of the scientists really try and do a good job. And if you read the body of the document, you know, it's 1,400 pages, it's 2,400 pages. If you go through it line by line, you find a lot of good science. But in the summary for policymakers, it's all stripped out. And the only so-called science that shows is the science that says the world is ending. In 12 years. Pick your number. Pick your number. <laughs> 10 years. I also heard next year. Oh, yeah. Eight years. Yeah. No. Well, you know, it's, it's 2022 now. It's supposed to be gone in 2030. So eight years. Yeah. Pick, pick, your, pick your number. The, the summary for policymakers, which is all that's ever reported on, it, is the basically takes out the very worst things that are said in there and represents them as if, as if they are the only thing said in this large document that has a lot of good science in it. Yes, so, and, and so the scientists could say, the scientists, because they're, it's their names on the report, the scientists could say, no, that's not what our report says, and we're not going to stand by this report. But they've never done that. And in fact, the few scientists that have tried to do that are no longer with the IPCC. I was just going to ask you, what do you think the odds are that anyone will do that? Because I imagine they're looking at their job, their grant, and any other compensating things that they get from the government for spewing these exaggerated lies, because that's really what they are. Most of the scientists who speak out on this are scientists who have made their tenure. They may even be emeritus and retired. They, They don't have the threat of loss of income and future career over their being held over their heads. Imagine you're a young scientist to say today, and you, you just graduated, you've been accepted, and you now have to make tenure. That means publish or perish, and it means get grants. Now, if you're going out and your research indicates that climate change isn't a disaster or isn't even, you know, occurring in a dangerous way, you're not going to get grants and your peers are not going to, your peers, the people that are above you are not going to rate you very highly. You're not going to get your tenure. They have their marching orders. They know what they're supposed to come to the conclusion. So even when they do good science and it's out there because I report on it, climate change weekly. Even when they do good science, it's almost always with caveats. In most science, you don't have caveats. You produce a study and it says what it says. And then you say, okay, now I leave it out there. Y'all can go test the study. If you find I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, I think you're going to find I'm right or I wouldn't have produced it. It went through peer review. Uh, But what they don't say is, well, my study shows this, but don't believe it. 
because we're not we're not saying almost every one of these studies that shows that this climate disaster or that climate disaster is not happening. So it's sea levels, the study says sea levels aren't rising as fast as climate models project. And that's what the study shows. I mean, they, they've, done, they've done their research, they produced their data. It should speak for itself. That's the end. Sea levels aren't rising as fast as climate models show. Oh, but wait a minute, Sterling. I, I just read that Miami is going to be underwater next year and nobody should live there because Florida is going to sink because the sea levels are rising. How I is guess, that possible? I guess I'll look to see how many of the millionaires <laughs> and billionaires who have houses on the coast are moving inland to see whether I should believe that. But my, my point is they produce the study, but then at the very end of the study, they say, now we know that our our research doesn't show disasters in the offing. We're not saying climate change isn't happening. Oh, we're convinced climate change is happening. It's just our little area of research shows that it's not happening quite like it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. No, no scientist should have to put these caveats that have nothing whatsoever to do, but it's because they have no expertise as to whether the other stuff is happening. They studied this one instance, this one incident, this one phenomenon, and it turns out, that that phenomenon is not happening the way climate change is happening, and they shouldn't have anything to say about the broader issue. But they're forced to because they want to keep their jobs. How sad is that? And all they're doing, folks, is lying to we the people. And let's remember what their hero, Stalin, said. Less people, less problems. They're working on that. And they are doing that through the United Nations because that's where the majority of these grandiose reports come from, because they have to convince the world that, well, here's a, here's a good one. If it, the sea level is going to rise in Miami, you mean it's not going to rise in Palm Beach, because that's where they're moving to. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, folks. And we have to stop being fooled by what they're saying. And what would you suggest we do, Sterling? Force them to prove it? Uh, Force them to show you the data, not the computer models. The actual data. The data. And, Uh And show you the proof. If they show, if they say something about hurricanes, say, where's the data on hurricanes? If they say something about wildfire, wildfire setting records, oh my God, the worst ever in history. Do we have data on wildfires in history? Turns out we do. Check it. Heat waves. Oh, the worst heat waves in history. Well, there was a great movie called The Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. Won some Academy yes. Awards, right? Yes. And it was about a time in America when we had real heat waves. It was called the Dust Bowl. We've not seen anything like it since the Dust Bowl. And during the Dust Bowl, one 10-year period, more temperature records were set for high temperatures in the U.S. in that one decade that have been set uh, for, for the 50 states that have been set since or before it. The, the point is, there were more highs set in the 1930s than have been set in the, the 90 years since the 1930s. Wow. Sterling, your information is so important. Please tell everyone where they can find you. And we're coming to the end of our segment. So I'm going to ask you to come back because people have to understand and learn the truth and how it affects us because believing this affects what we are going to do in our life. And if we're headed down the wrong path, we're not going to have a very good life. So where can everyone find you, Sterling? 
www.heartland.org. I ask that they go check out climaterealism.org uh, and climate at a glance. We've got a great new book that's on sale at Amazon called climate at a glance. It uh, was uh, the bestseller in children's science and science and in uh, climate science for uh, many weeks. And I say, go out there and purchase it uh, and support us when you can. Absolutely. And folks, if you have children, grandchildren, and they come home and they're talking to you about the climate, please tell them the truth. Don't let them go through their lives feeling that they are expelling a gas that is poisonous to the rest of us. They are expelling a gas. We know that we need CO2 to exist. Thank you, Sterling. Please have me on again anytime. Just send me the, send me the booking. Will do. Thank you all. Don't go away, folks. We will be right back. You're listening to Karen Show, and this is the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Don't touch that pad. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. It's summertime. Ready for your vacation to the beach, the lake, or the mountains? But what about your accommodations? Ever wonder what germs were left behind by the previous guests? Kathy G. from Tulsa says the Genesis Fogger gives her peace of mind and confidence when traveling. With Genesis, she knows that the air and surfaces in her vacation rental are free of bacteria and viruses left behind by the previous occupants. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. You can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, everyone. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. And I have a real treat for everyone today. I have been talking about the Alliance and some of the amazing things that have been going on in the state of Florida due to the work of the Alliance, especially in the field of education. And I asked its founders, um, Keith Flaw and Pastor Rick Stevens to come and give us a synopsis of what was accomplished this past year, as well as what we hope to accomplish the next year. And many of you are saying, but I don't live in Florida. How does that affect me? And I will tell you, go to the goflca.com. That's the Alliance website. 
and take some of the information that's there and use it in your state. Create an alliance. We are happy to help. That's the idea. We look at other states and see what wonderful things they're doing and then incorporate them into the things that we're doing. And you should be doing the same in your state. One person fighting an issue <clears throat> is not the same as having an alliance behind you. And now more than ever, an alliance is needed. So Pastor Rick and Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. I happened to read an article which really got me livid this morning. I guess I shouldn't do that before the show. But it seems as though we have a representative in Florida whose name is Mike Waltz, and he's on the House Armed Services Committee. And he introduced a measure that would ban CRT in our military. Now, I knew that it was in the military, and I figured that they were taking the uh, cadets or the new um, people that ha have joined the military and that they were teaching them that. I never realized that all of the government schools on the military bases where all of our children go from military families is totally immersed in the CRT garbage that we are fighting so hard to get out of Florida. And by the way, folks, CRT goes by multiple names. SEL, social emotional learning is one of them. And if you want to apply it to an industry or a corporation, it would be ESG, and that is your environment environment, social justice, and governance. And that's the way our corporations are now being rated. So we have done through the Alliance some amazing things to try to get people to understand what this is and how it is really anti-American, anti-family, anti-God, and anti-morality. And the sad part is, folks, we can see that happening as the Roe uh, decision was made, which never eliminated abortion. It just changed it per the state that you were in, which is the way America is supposed to work. Thank you both for joining me. Keith, you are one of the managing partners. Before we talk about what the Alliance is doing, what made you start the Alliance? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I often tell people that I was focused on you know, getting the government out of our, through their oversight and the Second Amendment and our schools. And I stepped on this thing called quicksand and it just kind of sucked me in. <laughs> I want to thank you. And I am so proud to be part of this organization. You have been doing amazing things, including helping to write bills, lobbying, meeting with legislators, getting their heads turned around from educating on a whim with values to educating for life with facts. So what were the things that the Alliance accomplished in this past year, Keith? Well, we have a team of uh, five of us uh, headed up by uh, Christina Heuser, who's a civil rights. And uh, in this last legislative cycle, and before getting ready for it, we evaluated over 70 um, education bills. Uh, we broke them into um, five categories, bills that we wanted to strongly support, bills that we supported, opposed, and strongly opposed, and then with a little bit of glibness, the ones we, did, we don't care about. And I don't mean that quite as glibly as it sounds, just we decided not to invest a lot of uh, political capital. So we ended up with about 15 bills that we were strongly supporting and six we were going to fight, strongly oppose. Uh, it turned out that none of those strongly opposed bills moved. For those that have been involved in the cycle, even the 15 that we were going to strongly support 
there were about six of those that really took us some traction and we, we were very actively involved with. One of the bills we wanted to strongly support was our bill uh, that Pastor Rick and I wrote, Harmful for Minors Bill. And uh, unfortunately, the bill was killed by the Speaker of the House and the Senate President. We leveraged our huge support base at the time of 110,000 people to weigh in and give them a voice as uh, those bills moved through the legislature. So uh, the, the Parents' Rights and Education Bill was huge. I was up there twice testifying up. Pastor Rick was up there as well. A really good bill, this segment, by talking about CRT. The bill never mentions the three words CRT. It is the Individual Freedom the governor signed it into law, prohibits any discrimination of any kind. And it actually applies to businesses. As you were talking, I'm wondering, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm wondering whether or not since those military bases from Florida, I'm wondering whether those that particular bill could, could be applied to uh, bases here in Florida. I, I, again, not being a lawyer and a being government and a federal government versus state, I'm not sure. But anyway, that was a really, really good bill that goes right at the heart, the heart of critical race care theory, social, emotional learning, et cetera. So those are some of the highlights. Pastor Rick, you might want to add. To Just that. thinking that one of the things that really stood out to me was the support for parents' rights in education. And that's one of the kind of a big picture concept that we sometimes assume, but isn't always true when it comes to how the school districts work. And so we've been trying to make people aware of their rights, trying to help advance the concept that parents are responsible for their child's education and the school dis district needs to treat them as a partner, not just expect them to go along and get along with whatever's handed to them. I, th I think that's a huge issue all across the country. And I'm really glad Florida's taking steps in the right direction. I think there's a lot of work to do in terms of changing the mindset, both of parents and of school districts. Parents have been pushed aside too often, and so they tend to not assert their rights. And school districts have been going ahead without considering the parents enough, and sometimes not at all. And I think the, the ability to focus back again on the parents' responsibility and opportunity to direct the education of their children is just a huge step forward and something we need to keep working on in Florida and across the country. Yes, and, and the alliance was also uh, very strongly in favor of the new bill that, of course, caused tremendous amount of commotion, especially with Disney. That bill said kindergarten through third grade no discussion of transgender or sex. Let's teach the kids to read, write, and do math. And I know that Flora, uh, the Alliance took a big stand in that, Pastor. We started out, though, I think, if I remember correctly, that we were looking for this to happen in K through six. What happened that that got changed from K to three? Well, we're not sure exactly what happened and why they focused on K to three. It may be that they were trying to limit the political impact of it. We certainly think it should be expanded. There's no question about that. Uh, we think it's a big step in the right direction. Perhaps they were making a calculation that they could get the K through three and then take the next step during the next legislative session. That sometimes happens in Florida. Since we don't have a legislature this year round, we tend to take bites of the of the apple, so to speak, one session, then come back and take another one the next. Or sometimes they forget about it and don't take the next step. 
but we're hopeful they will take that next step this time. And it, and it did a lot that that bill you mentioned did a lot for parents rights because it reinforced the idea that the parents have to be considered and the kids need to be respected. Well, one of the big problems that we have in Florida, and Keith, you can tell everyone about that is the sunshine law. We have a law in Florida, which is called 989 Florida statute that was from uh, 2017 that said that anyone in Florida who's a resident in Florida has the right to review books, textbooks, and go back and make a report to their local school board. But the school boards apparently are picking the books and not telling anybody what they're doing. And I know the Alliance took a big step in addressing that issue. So how did how did the Alliance address Sunshine, Keith? Literally four years ago, Florida Citizens Alliance and three parents with kids in the public school system filed a lawsuit against Collier County School System. And there were four elements or four points to the lawsuit. Two of them had to do with a violation of what we considered content, considered to be violations of a Florida statute requiring what's supposed to be being taught in our constitutional principles. The other two elements of that lawsuit were sunshine law elements. We invested $20,000 in that lawsuit. We lost in the First Circuit Court, but uh, one of the two lawyers who fought that case was also a plaintiff, and he felt so strongly that he could win the the, uh, Supreme Court, the sunshine case elements of that that he fought that for three and a half years on his own dime. Last September, the second court of appeals sided with him, not the school board, and said they had actually violated the sunshine in their adoption of those books four years ago. The Collier School Board decided to take that to the Florida Supreme Court. And it's been a little over a month ago now that the Florida Supreme Court said, nah, we're, we're going to side with the second uh, circuit court, which struck down what the Collier County folks have done. It's really profound in two ways. In the short tactical way, Collier County, all of those books they adopted four years ago were null and void, and they have to do it over again. And they have to do it in the sunshine. And of course, there have been some new laws put on the books since then that will come into play. But the more important aspect is the implication it has on all the rest of the counties. To the best of our ability, and it's not real precise, but about at least a third of our counties in Florida have committees that select these textbooks and then the school boards rubber stamp them. Almost all, if not all of those are in violation of this now the Supreme Court decision. So we've created a public records uh, request. We've asked as, as many counties as interested. Right now, we have at least six counties that are filing that public records request to identify uh, the process in their respective counties. And uh, if it is, if those public records requests prove to what we expect to happen is actually happening, then we'll file lawsuits in those six counties and that'll spread through the state like wildfire. So that's where we are with that, uh, Karen. Well, right now, so what I'm understanding is that in order for textbooks to be picked for a particular district, once the committee selects the books, it has to be open for review by the people who live in that district. Is that correct? Well, let me uh, calibrate that a little bit for you. Uh, the the uh, school board members obviously are in the sunshine. When they delegate anything to a superintendent, that everything that superintendent does is in the sunshine. If that superintendent then turns around and delegates a response to a committee, that committee from the get-go 
has to be in the sunshine. So that means that any meetings they have have to be uh, noticed in advance, just as if they were noticing a public school board hearing. The public has to be invited and the public has to be allowed to speak. That's the violation that was taking place in Collier County. And we know it's taken place up in uh, Indian River as well. They were actually more egregious than uh, Collier County. And we suspect in many other counties uh, there. A number of years ago, there was a case um, that has been misused by the school district that said if you had a fact-finding committee, you didn't need to operate in the sunshine. That was one of the elements that was struck down by the Supreme Court ruling. Oh, that is phenomenal. And what an amazing job. Folks, does your state have a sunshine law? Do your textbooks have to be exposed to everyone before that they can be chosen and selected for your children? This has been the biggest problem because parents have no idea what their children are learning in school. And nobody's going to learn unless we can see what they are choosing. That's the idea of the Sunshine Law. So if your state does not have a Sunshine Law, take a look at what's on the Alliance website. Feel free to contact anyone. And please make sure that your state gets a sunshine law. We are now going to be facing not only a new legislature, but an incredible election and hopefully not a new governor. So what does the alliance have that would be the hot buttons that you think we should be looking at for the up and coming next year. Pastor Rick, you want to start that? Well, it's, it's in some respects, it's all of the same things and the usual things. I mean, we need to continue to work on the questionable materials problem of the problem of pornography in our schools. That really doesn't go away. There are some other things that always come to the surface when you think about a new legislative session. So in that sense, we, we want to look at, at some apprenticeships and things like that. But you mentioned the election. And I think that shouldn't be overlooked too easily. Everybody across the country needs to take careful look at all of the candidates that are running for school board because they really do make consequential decisions. And this is the time as we approach elections to make big changes at the local level. Sometimes people get caught up with national stuff and think that's where we have to change everything. I think there's a huge impact on local policy that's, that's made through school boards. And if we can begin to send a message to the school districts by who we elect to the school board, then many of our education problems can be solved locally instead of at the state or the national level. To be sure, there are always going to be things that have to be solved at those levels, but a lot of things can be done at the local level, and people should take that very seriously and vet the local candidates where they live and make sure they vote for the ones that reflect their beliefs, the ones who are in favor of things like parents' rights, things like moral values, all of the things that, that, are, that people are concerned about will be reflected in the next election, and we need to make sure of that. And as we learned in the segment prior to this one with Sterling Burnett, uh, the, our kids are being taught irrelevant science. They're not being taught science that is worthwhile. They are being taught from computer models, not real scientists, and they're being taught by mostly people who are busy collecting grant money so that they can spew the government's message rather than talking about what real science is about. Keith, is there any place on the website that those questions would be available or how would people get a hold of those questions? Because listening to a candidate, I went to a meeting last week and the candidate was speaking and the candidate spent 20 minutes telling us how wonderful she was. 
not what any issues were that were important, but just her family, her background, her uh, college, everything. It was very nice to hear, but no issues were addressed. When we got to the issues, of course, there was no time left. So we never got to hear her issue answers. And this is a big deal, especially the school boards have such influence over our children. So is there a place where people can find them or what would you suggest? Well, we put them on our website in past years and we have kind of streamlined our website. So as you know, Karen, we hold a monthly leadership meeting. We now have over 100 people that participate in that from well over 20 counties. We've made it clear to them that that all they have to do is send an email and We'll afford those. The reason we haven't, and it maybe not a strong reason, but the reason we haven't put them up is I'd like to know who's using them and make sure that they realize that they have to adapt them to their local community. Anybody who's listening to this who wants them for your county, send me an email, keith at goflca.org, and I'm happy to share both of those with you. Uh, We will be putting up on our website later this week the results from the Collier County, uh, nine of the 11 candidates filled them out. And so we will be putting up those results on the website. And I, I don't want to get too complicated, but we have both a C3 website, a 501C3 and a 501C4 website, which is FLC Action. We'll, we'll be putting them up on the Action website with a message from the, uh, the base website to go there. So uh, people can find them. And if you want to tailor those to your county, we're happy to work with you. Absolutely. And folks, you don't have to take anything verbatim. Everybody lives in a different area. Everybody's uh, things may be applicable. But it's so important that you learn the people who you are going to be electing. And if you don't know who they are, why on earth would you want your children to be involved with a group of people that you don't know what their values are? You don't know what they're about. And Let me tell you the way that books are selected. The Florida Department of Education reads the summary of the textbooks, and then they send these summaries out when they select the textbooks, and they send them out to the school board. And the school board will select them often without looking at the textbooks, often without looking what's in the textbooks. And this doesn't happen in every county, but it happens in too many counties. If we don't pay attention to what our children are learning, then for heaven's sakes, how can we expect them to be excellent in any of their endeavors? That will never happen. Pastor Rick, I know that we have talked many times about bringing uh, God back to school because morality is sorely lacking. Can you give anybody clues of what questions what we can ask to make sure that morality is returned back to our schools and we don't have our kids uh, doing horrific things because basically they can't read and write and don't know any morality at all. So what suggestions can you give our people to help bring morality back to school? Well, I think you're exactly right. People need to understand that every decision that's made by a school board is based on their conception of right and wrong. Going one way is right, or it's wrong, going the other way is right or it's wrong. So people need to understand these clearly are questions of right and wrong. And it's not a very artful question. And I've learned that some savvy politicians know how to answer that because if they know I'm a pastor, they know what to say. What people need to try to find out is what moral authority guides the life and the thinking and the decision-making of an individual candidate. 
Now, sometimes you can ask them, well, what moral authority guides your life? And you'll get an honest answer. Sometimes, in my case, they say, oh, he's a pastor. I better say the Bible. So they do. Well, I think we also need to learn how to ask that kind of question in different ways, depending on the candidate. That, and that will help you understand how they decide. So for some candidates, their moral authority is whatever's popular. Well, you need to find out, are they going to vote on whatever is popular? Are they going to say, well, on issues like that, we're going to see what the citizens think and we're going to do that. Well, we live in a representative government, and so they're there to represent us, but we don't live in a direct democracy where we have to do what the mob says or the majority. So you need to find out what moral authority guides their life. And then the second part of that is, will they actually apply that understanding of right and wrong to their public service? Sometimes candidates will say the right thing in terms of what's right and what's wrong, but then when it comes time to make a decision in, in their office, they say, well, public arena, I can't decide that because that's just me personally. I can't decide that for all the people or some other similar explanation. We need people that have the right understanding of, of moral authority and then the courage and the willingness to make those kinds of decisions when they're faced with that in public life. So essentially, we have to look at what they do, not just what they say because their past actions will lead us to what they intend to do in the future. Uh, people can twist words around all they want, but they can't change their actions. Keith, are we working on any bills for the new season? And how does that actually work in Florida? Because many times people will go and the bills are already written and session hasn't even started. What is that all about? Uh, before I go there, uh, I'd like to just uh, expand a little bit about what Pastor Rick just said. I think there's an Another whole directional element to dealing with this issue of morality in public school. Get your kid out of public school. Take control <laughs> of your child's education and put that morality back in by the by homeschooling or getting them out under one of the scholarships and uh, sending them to a, a you know a Christian school. Those are clearly uh, ways in which you can help your child, and that competitive pressure over time may in fact help uh, the, the government schools and. Uh, pick up their game. In terms of what's coming, what we're working on now, uh, Pastor Rick touched on a couple of points. Clearly going to be working on an education savings account approach where the money follows the child. Frankly, if I were king for a day or a year and had the power, I would privatize all public education and tie the money to the child and let the money follow the child and let the free market fix it. Uh, we're not there. We're not going to get there anytime soon. But supporting the concept of ESA and expanding those as aggressively as we can here in Florida is a big plus. As Pastor Rick mentioned, we're going to be fighting uh, to get our harm for, for minors bill back on the table. There's several other aspects underneath that, uh, including uh, you know, trying to get the state to mandate a policy on supplemental materials. There's uh, several other items that are a little bit unique. One of these came out of one of our local school board meetings that uh, is kind of a aha moment. In Florida, only the governor can re relieve a super elected uh, board member for malfeasance. We'd like to see a bill put up and passed that would allow the, the people uh, to recall their school board members and, and school board elected superintendents. Uh, so we're going to be working on that. One of our representatives put up a cameras bill. Just talked to him and he's going to be putting it up again with some minor changes and will be generally supportive of that. So those are some of the kinds of things we're working on. Uh, we've started meeting with key legislators uh, to find out what their appetite is for moving forward. 
and how we can help them. So that's that's all that effort in a in kind of a short nutshell. You said something very important. Meeting now with key legislators. Folks, the legislators are not in Tallahassee in Florida. And in most states, they are not. They are home. This is their vacation time or their home time. It is so important that you get to meet with your legislators. It's difficult enough to be a legislator, but to be a legislator and not know what your constituents want makes it even harder. So if you want your legislator to do something, then by all means, now is the time to get with them, to sit with them. They have more time and they should know what you want. And that's the way we get things accomplished. Well, I want to thank both of you. Pastor Rick, I'm going to ask you, we only have a a couple of minutes left, if you could close this in prayer, because America has done amazing things, but right now we're in a dark spot and we need some prayer to lift us. I'd be glad to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can turn to you when we need your help, and we need your help many, many times. Often, it's really true, we need it more often than we think. And we pray that you would help us with our children and their education in this country. You know, all of the things that are against us getting the right things done. And I pray that you would bring the wrong things to light and bring the right people into important places of responsibility to do the right thing. We've seen good things happen with the Supreme Court, and now we're looking for more things as we go forward. We have every confidence that you want what's good and and helpful and beneficial for our kids, and we're going to go forward with that. Give us the courage, the wisdom, and the tenacity to never give up in pursuit of helping our kids have the best education. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank both of you. As I have said many times, the Florida Citizens Alliance is doing amazing work, but the work is only as good as its leaders and the people who support it. So I want to thank all of you for supporting us and Pastor Rick Stevens and Keith Flaw for being the tremendous leaders that you are. Folks, go to Florida Citizens Alliance, that is goflca.com. Please take a look at what the Alliance is doing and copy it and do the same in your state. I agree with Keith 100%. Get your kids out of government schools. You want to make an impression on these people? Stop sending your kids to school so that they will be able to indoctrinate them. There are wonderful resources on the Alliance website. Use them and it doesn't matter what state you're in there. The textbooks that are being used now in Florida are full of critical race theory, full of social emotional learning. How do I know that without reading the textbooks? I look at the authors. The authors have written multiple articles supporting CRT and SEL. So do you think when they write a textbook that it's going to be void of those two items? I don't think so. So this is another thing. I don't believe that we can fix education. I think we ought to deep six education and start over not only by getting our kids out of school and even privatizing education. I think that would be wonderful. I'd ask my child to read to me. If they can't read, I'd sue my school board for taking my child and not giving them an education. But as Keith said, most important thing, get them out of those government schools. Well, thank you all for listening, everyone. This is Karen Schoen. You have been listening to the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. See you all again next week, folks. Have a wonderful week. But I'll always stand proud in 
friend on 